Well, good morning once again, and uh, it's a joy to be with you again. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to having Pastor James back in the pulpit next week. And uh, he was um, actually supposed to be back this week, um, but uh, he got uh, called away to speak at the Lighthouse Bible Church a singles retreat this weekend. We're uh, just thrilled that he's able to minister the Word of God there. I actually got a text message from James last night saying, I just finished preaching, send my love to Cornerstone, can't wait to be back next week. And I saw the text said, just finished preaching, and then I looked at the uh, time, and it was 1.50 a.m. And so I don't know if that means he preached for four hours or if they started at midnight, but um, I'm sure they're having a great time there, and uh, we look forward to having him back next week and uh, returning to our study of Second Timothy next week. But this week, uh, this gives me one final opportunity and um, to just share my heart with you as it regards to the things that we've been learning these past number of weeks on living our lives as receivers and not givers. Living our lives as receivers and not givers. Just to recap, there are two big picture ideas that we have been laying before you We have been asking the Lord to impress upon our hearts that we feel that the Lord has been teaching us as a church. The first big picture idea is that the gospel is not just central to how we begin the Christian life, but it is central to how we live the Christian life. The gospel is central not just to how we become Christians, but how we grow as Christians to how we mature, how we live. The gospel is not just in theological terms central to our conversion and to our justification, but it is central to our sanctification. Every day of our Christian lives must be lived in light of this glorious good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world to live a perfect life, to die on a cross in our place for our sins, rise triumphantly from the grave, and through faith in him, we can be forgiven of all our sins and have a relationship with God. This glorious news not only begins the Christian life, but it sustains the Christian life. We live every day of our lives in light of this great news that Christ has come to die in our place. And we never get to the point in our Christian lives where we're mature enough or strong enough, or cleaned up enough that we don't desperately need this glorious news that Jesus Christ has come to save me from my sin. And I was just reflecting on this this week, how I need the gospel just as much today as I did the first day when I became saved. I haven't gotten to a place in my Christian life, well, now I've cleaned up my act, and I don't drink anymore, and I don't smoke anymore, and I don't do all these crazy party things anymore, and I'm, I'm you know, um, studied the Bible for a number of years, and, I know, and so I, I kind of like 50% can do it on my own. But Lord, I need today, today, I need the gospel just as much today as I did the first day when I cried out for mercy And I stood condemned before a holy God and I cried out to the cross to save me and I received grace and forgiveness. I need the gospel today just as desperately as I needed it the first day when I came to Christ. 
And I just ask you, is that your heart? Do you feel that in your heart? Today, I need the gospel. I stand before God only and solely, 100% on the basis of Christ and Christ's all-sufficient work, nothing more, nothing less, and I rest in what He has done for me. I was reflecting on Paul's words in Romans chapter 7 and how Paul never got to this point where he felt like, gosh, I've matured enough as a Christian. I'm a church leader now. I'm an author of Scripture now. I'm an evangelist. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I do all these things. And so, wow, now I don't really need the gospel as much as the first day when I came to Christ. If you read Romans 7, you'll read that Paul, even as a mature Christian, he felt he felt this weight of sin in his life. He felt, I, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I ought to do, and wretched man that I am. I feel the weight of sin in my life. And he asked the question in Romans 7, 24, who shall free me from my sin? says, thanks be to God because of what he's done through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Paul never got to this point where he said, gosh, I'm, I've been a Christian a number of years. I don't really need the gospel anymore. Look at me. I'm writing scripture and I'm preaching to people and I'm doing all these wonderful things. He still felt, you know, at the core of it, no matter how much I grow, I am a sinner before a holy God and I desperately need the work of Christ in my life and that's the only way that I stand justified before a holy God and so I need the gospel today just as much as I needed it the day when God rescued me on the road to Damascus. And I just ask you to once again bring this to your hearts. Do you feel that that desperation that I need this good news today. That no matter how much I've grown, no matter how much I've progressed, the only reason I can come before God is because of what Christ has done in dying for my sins and standing in my place. I need the gospel today in how I live not just in how I began the Christian life. So that was the first big picture idea that we laid before you, is that the gospel is not just how we begin the Christian life, the gospel is how we continue the Christian life, and we live every day in light of this glorious truth. Now the second big picture idea that we laid before you was derived from the first, and it is this. That if we live our lives in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we live our lives as receivers and not givers. We live our lives receiving from God undeserved blessings. We live with the orientation that God is going to give to me, not I'm going to give to God. In other words, we live... Our lives every day, just as we did when we first came to Christ. When we first came to Christ, we said, I have nothing to give to you, God. I have nothing to offer you but my sins and my weakness and my condemnation. I can only receive from you your grace and your mercy and your blessings that I do not deserve and I cannot earn. 
And what we're saying is that that is not just the orientation that we begin the Christian life. That's the orientation we continue the Christian life. We come to God to get from God, not to give to God. We must be receivers. And last week we looked at the one simple illustration that Jesus used to teach this, and that was in Matthew 18 where he taught us that the Christian is basically a child. He said a child before the disciples, and he said, unless you become like a child, you shall never enter the kingdom of heaven. So you can't become a Christian unless you become like a child. And then he said, he who humbles himself like this child, it will be the greatest in the kingdom. So he was saying to the disciples, you know what a Christian is? A Christian is a child. And the progression of spiritual maturity is not a child growing to be an adult. It is a child growing to be more childlike. And we just looked at this illustration and what Jesus was teaching there was simply this. A child is, is totally helpless. A child is, has no resources. A child has no money. A child can't pay for anything. A child can't contribute anything. A child is defenseless. A child has all these needs. That's all a child has. One to two years of age was the Greek word talking about. There's just needs. I need to be fed. I need to be clothed. I need to be protected. I need to be loved. I need to be provided for. I need to be paid for. I, I have all these needs that need to be met, and I have nothing that I can give. And Jesus was teaching us there that that is a Christian. A Christian is when you, when you come to God and you recognize I have nothing to give to God. God has to give to me through what He's done on the cross in the work of his son. And a mature Christian is not a Christian who's moved beyond that and now I've grown strong enough that I'm an adult and, and I can pay for things on my own. But a mature Christian is a Christian who's grown even greater in his understanding of my weakness and my helplessness and how much I desperately need God. You know, Paul talked about this, didn't he, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where he said, I'm content with weaknesses and distresses and insults and all these things that I feel like make show me my weakness, because he said, when I'm weak, that's when I'm strong. Because when I'm weak and I feel my weakness, that's when God gives to me his strength and shows his grace in me. And he was just echoing what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 18. A mature Christian is someone who's grown in his understanding of his weakness, of his helplessness, of how he can give nothing to God. He must receive everything from God. And what Jesus was teaching us is that if you want to grow in the kingdom of heaven, you must grow in being a receiver. You must grow in being a receiver. The Christian life is not God gave to me so much in the past and now my response is I, I give to him back. Maybe you've heard this. Okay? This is how a lot of people view the Christian life. 
the Christian life is God gave to me so much in my salvation, and now i got to give to Him. Because it's not the Christian life. The Christian life is God gave to me in the past, and He keeps giving to me in the present, and He's going to keep giving to me in the future. And even for all eternity, when I'm in heaven, He's going to keep giving to me. Because it's all by grace. And all I do is I receive what He gives through faith. I don't try to earn it. I don't try to work for it. I receive it by faith in what He's done for me. And so I live as a receiver. John Piper refers to this misguided notion as the debtor's ethic. I want to get your hands around this idea because it's so common in our lives. The debtor's ethic is God gave to me so much in sending his son to die for me. And now I feel like I got to pay him back. And so I live my Christian life trying to give back to God. And the Bible teaches that salvation is God gave to me in the past. God gives to me in the present And God will give to me in the future. I have always been and always will be a receiver. I don't know if you've ever felt this way. I've heard people say this and I've felt this way myself. You you come Sunday morning worship and and you feel guilty because you're you're distracted and you're you're not fully here. And and you're kind of thinking about all these different things. And and you feel guilty because you feel like, gosh, Lord, you did so much for me. You you sent your son to die for me and you blessed me and you gave me so much grace. And, and I can't even give to you a one hour of my undistracted attention. And you feel this guilt like, I can't even give to you that, Lord. And God says, that's not the point. The point is you come with your distracted heart. You come with your anxiety. And you don't try to give to me the perfect worship. Worship is I give to you. You cry out to me, Lord, I have a distracted heart. I have anxious thoughts. I have all this this confusion in my life. Help me, meet me, encourage me, instruct me, lead me, and I give to you. It's not us trying to give to God this perfect Christian life. It's us coming to Him with all of our needs and all of our struggles and all of our difficulties and saying, Lord, give to us. And the Lord always does because He is a generous God and He is a lavish, lavish giver. Well, we have two big picture ideas that we laid before you. The first is how the gospel is central to not only how we begin the Christian life, but how we continue the Christian life. The second was that because we live our lives by the gospel, we are receivers and not givers. Now, some of you this morning might be saying, you know, Dan, I get it. Okay, this is good news. I'm encouraged. I'm really thankful for what the Lord's doing and. How he's teaching us, and I I get it. The gospel is central in my life today. I need the gospel today. Amen. I I need to be a receiver, not a giver. I need to come to God to get from God, not to give to God. 
But you might be asking a very legitimate question, and that is this. How, Dan, if I understand these two big picture ideas, what difference does it make in how I live my life? Okay, it's great. I understand it. I agree with it. But I want to know, Monday morning at 6 a.m., when my alarm clock goes off and the week begins, how does this change the way I go about my week? And you might be wondering, asking that question. And so I want to conclude our little mini-series here by giving you one final big-picture idea that we'll spend some time unpacking and showing how it applies to our life. We looked at the gospel is central to our lives. Secondly, we looked at we're receivers and not givers. Let me give you a third big picture idea that I want to unpack for you this morning. Living as a receiver and not a giver means that I pay appropriate attention to the passive imperatives of the Christian life. Living as a receiver and not a giver means that I pay appropriate attention to the passive imperatives of the Christian life. Have you never heard that term before, passive imperatives, because I made it up this week. And so I'll spend a little bit of time defining it for you and hopefully clarifying what that means. Please follow me carefully here. What I'm about to say has helped me greatly in my Christian life, and I trust will be a blessing to your own life this morning. Living as a receiver and not a giver means I pay appropriate attention to the passive imperatives of the Christian life. First, I want to just define what that is. And second, I want to give you some examples of passive imperatives. What is a passive imperative? What we mean by a passive imperative is not that we are not engaged in responding to these calls. It's not that we enter into some mystical realm and God just kind of takes over and that our wills aren't engaged, our emotions are not engaged, our thoughts are not engaged, our mind is not engaged. That's not what we're saying. What we mean by a passive imperative is that the emphasis in these exhortations is for something to be done to us, not for us to do something. You all understand what I'm saying here? The emphasis in these imperatives is for something to be done to us, not for us to do something or to produce something or to accomplish something or to get some work done. But the emphasis is, Allow God to do something to you. In other words, we are receiving from God, not giving to God. And this is what I mean by a passive imperative. So I'll use just a real common example here. And I'm not, you know, not an elite guy, so this is the best I can come up with. But the phrase, um, go see this great movie. This is a passive imperative. We are calling upon you to to leave your house and to leave your comfort zone, to go to a theater, to be there on time, to sit and to watch. But the emphasis in that call is not, you're going to do something. 
or you're going to get this done, or you're going to accomplish something today. The emphasis is go there. Yes, you're involved. Your mind's there. Your heart's there. Your will's there. But the emphasis is you are allowing something to be done to you. Not you are accomplishing something. And when you leave the theater, your response is not, wow, I got so much done when I was at the theater. But your response is, that was great. I received something that I did not have before I entered into the theater. This is the balance that what we're saying is that a passive imperative is something where your mind is engaged, your heart is engaged, but the emphasis is God is doing something in your life, not you are producing something or working for something. Now, why do we need this? We need this because we're such a doing society. We're such a doing culture. American Christianity, we're, such a, we're so wired to do things, and we're not diminishing doing things in any way. I mean, we need to do things in the Christian life. We need to get stuff done. Um, you're here this morning because you did things this morning to get to church, and so we're not diminishing that. But what we're saying is that doing does not define us as Christians. Many of you and myself included, when you look at the Christian life, the one thought that comes into your mind is you have to do things. When you think about your day, you think in terms of, I have to do this and do that and do this. When you think about church, you think in terms of, I have to do my worship and do my listening and do my fellowship and do my service. We're wired to be doers, and we're not taking anything away from the importance of doing. But what we're saying is that doing does not define the Christian life. What we need is an appropriate attention to these passive imperatives. Now, if I just lost you, and you're still confused, and you're just like, some of you were really confused last week when I talked about the whole thing about the givers are really the receivers, but they're really the givers who are really the receivers, and, and you came up to me and were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So if you're, if you're lost here, don't worry about it. Well, I'm going to give to you the passive imperative, and it all makes sense as we go along. Let me give you five passive imperatives found in Scripture and these are five ways that we receive from God the blessings that He, His generous heart, wants to bestow upon us. The first imperative is gazing. Gazing. We could define this as, as looking, as beholding, as, as seeing, as observing the beauty and the perfections of something that is transcendent gazing okay? and again i'm trying to i'm trying to bring a, a balance here because all of, most of us think of the christian life in terms of doing and doing's there but what i'm trying to say is essential to the christian life is this idea of gazing looking when you wake up and you think of your christian life you think of I want to see something today that I haven't seen before. When you think of coming to church, you should think of, I want to see something beautiful 
and wondrous about God. Gazing is allowing your heart to be ravished by the beauty of the gospel in Jesus Christ. It's lifting up your eyes and and seeing something that is so glorious and wondrous that it lifts your heart out of your mundane life. It lifts your your spirits out of the day-to-day existence that we live in. And it shows you something that is wondrous and that is delightful. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, Paul says this, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. And Paul says there that central in the Christian life, central in our Christian experience, is this imperative of beholding, of seeing, of looking. And central, what we're looking at, he says, is the beauty of Jesus Christ. We are beholding the glory of the Lord And in the context there, he's talking about the glory that is revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is the Christian life, Paul says? It is the experience of gazing at the beauty of Jesus Christ. As a Christian, you need to see beauty. Okay? You need to see something that is wondrous. You can't sustain the Christian life on on merely doing things. You can't do it. We're not wired to tick that way. We are wired to see wondrous things. And that's why the psalmist said, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. He said to God, Show me something beautiful that is life-sustaining because I need to be lifted up. And I need my heart to be filled with joy. And if you think you can get by on just doing things, you will burn out. We were never meant to function that way. Many people view this book as this book was given to us as a manual, as a list of rules and regulations. And that kind of explains why we're all that not excited about it too much. Because let's face it, who gets all excited about a manual of rules and procedures that's 1,500 pages long? I don't know if any of you opened your tax code this year and just, wow, just so excited about reading all the procedures that I have to follow. That's so thick. That's, that's not what this book is about. This book is about beauty and showing us things that are wondrous that we watch and we are transformed by. Paul says that when you behold and when you see, you will be transformed Now, why is this encouraging to me? It's encouraging because you need to be extremely skilled to do things or to produce things or to be efficient in life 
But, you know, any old common person can look. I mean, you have to be extremely talented to make a great movie, but any old person can go watch. I mean, you have to be very skilled to make a great piece of music, but anyone can put an iPod on and listen. You don't have to be skilled to look, but you do need to be intentional. I'm going to look. I'm going to watch. I'm going to behold the wonders that is in God's Word. John 1.29, John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, look, turn your eyes. Psalm 27.4, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Moving on, a second passive imperative. We looked at gazing. The second one is drinking. Drinking. Drinking is allowing the beauty of Christ to, to satisfy your thirsty soul. It is allowing the beauty of Christ to satisfy your thirsty soul. So gazing is you're looking, you're beholding, you're watching, you're trying to see something beautiful about Jesus in the gospel. You're, you're, drink, you're taking it in and then drinking is you're bringing your your weary heart and your sinful heart and your temptations and your trials and your confusion. You're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm thirsty. I have needs. I'm, I need you. And you're allowing the beauty of Christ to, to satisfy you. And you're drinking. And you're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm not bringing to you my, my gifts. I'm bringing to you my thirst. I'm bringing to you my needs. And you satisfy me with the person and work of Jesus Christ. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And John 7.37, Jesus stood, cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Some of you might be thinking, Dan, this sounds like for spiritual people. Okay? Normal Christians, we, we're not like this. Normal, we just go to church, we go to work, we... To our quiet times, we, we go to, we're not like, we don't have this, this thirst where we cry out to God and we say, meet me, Lord, and satisfy my heart, and I need you to, to ravish my, my heart and my soul. That's not normal Christianity. And Jesus says, you know what? You may feel like you're not spiritual enough to drink, but you know what? That's the whole point. If you're thirsty, you're in need. The times when you're dry, the times when you're in temptation, the times when you've fallen into sin, the times when you're confused or you're anxious or you're just tired and feel like you have nothing else to give, that's the best time to drink. In fact, that is the time where you will feel the satisfaction of Christ in the greatest way. So I'll just be real honest with you this week. You can ask my wife, ask my kids, but, you know, for me, it was a real crummy week. And don't get me wrong, last week was a great week. You see me last week, I mean, I was cranking and 
just ministering things, organizing things. I was being productive. I was just like, you know, speaking and, and just like, hey, you know, look at me. I'm a great Christian. And, man, you know, I'm just cranking here. And then this week was, you know, it was dry and, and just nothing left in my brain, you know, just. And Jesus said to me through this verse, Dan, if you're thirsty, if you're dry, if you have needs, he said, come to me and drink and I will satisfy you. You see, that's the best time to drink. You understand what I'm saying? It's not you clean up your life and get your life together and then I'll drink because I'm spiritual. No, it's you're thirsty, you're dry, you're confused, you don't know what's going on. Drink and be satisfied. One author has put it this way. Jesus is describing a way of life, a constant experience any and every Christ follower can have where as we recognize any thirst in our lives, any brokenness in our souls, we can come to Jesus in that moment and drink deeply of his inexhaustible resources. Just as water and drinking water is a natural and continuous aspect of our day, so too is this experience with Jesus. Once again, anyone can drink. Anyone can drink and at any time. And Jesus says, come if you are thirsty. What is the Christian life? It is gazing, it is drinking, and thirdly, it is tasting. It is tasting. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. First Peter 2 says, Desire the pure milk of the Word if you have tasted of the kindness of the Lord. Tasting is, is savoring the sweetness of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. It is savoring the sweetness of the Gospel in Jesus Christ. So we're gazing, we're looking at the perfections of Christ. We're drinking, we're allowing Christ to satisfy our thirsty souls. And then when we're satisfied, we're not just, all right, that was good, let's move on and get stuff done. No, we're, we're savoring, we're, we're tasting, we're, we're saying it's so sweet how Jesus satisfies. And we're just drinking in that time. I've eaten with many um, different brothers and sisters and at meal times. And I know that some of us were, some of us are more functional eaters than than uh, savoring eaters. You know what I mean? We're like we want it. We eat because it's you need to eat to get it done, right? You need to eat for the nutrients and you need to eat to and then move on to the next thing. And then some of us we're like gourmets. I mean, we're just see that we're just like it's so good and. Um, you all know my favorite food is, uh, is pho, and I go out and eat with some of the brothers, and, and we don't eat functionally. We don't just eat to get it done, but we eat savoring it. We, we smell it, and we say, it's so good. And, and what the Bible says is that God calls on us not to eat in a functional way of the truths of God, not to eat and then move on, but to, to taste, to let it sink down deep into your heart 
and to savor the sweetness of the truths of the gospel. You know, so many times in my life where I've, I've looked at the truths of Scripture, such as that Christ died in my place for my sins, and, and I'll kind of like quote that verse and I'll say, well, I, I believe that, and, but I've got to live my Christian life now, and I've got stuff to do. And the Bible would call on me to, no, Dan, you've got to stop. You've got to savor that. You've got to drink in that sweetness. That Christ has died in your place. That He really did. That all of your sins have been paid for. And that God accepts you on the basis of what He's done. You have to drink that in. You have to allow it to permeate your heart and your mind and and just allow that sweetness to flow through your life. And you gaze and you drink and you taste. And that taste transforms your spirit and lifts up your heart. This morning I was reading from Psalm 65 verse 3 just in my own devotion time. Psalm 65 verse 3 says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. And it was so easy for me to just, okay, atonement, I know that. That's a theological term. I learned that when I cause iniquity, you atone for my transgressions. And I felt the Spirit was just prompting me, Dan, you need to stop and you need to taste of that. Don't just eat it and hurry up. And You need to taste how sweet that is. When you sin, God atoned for your iniquities. And you need to drink that in and let it satisfy your heart. Gaze, drink, taste. Number four, the Christian life is gazing, it is drinking, it is tasting, and it is abiding. It is abiding. Jesus said, John fifteen four, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, he says, He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The word abide simply means to remain, to stay near, to stay close. The picture would have been of the Apostle John leaning on the chest of Jesus at mealtime. And the idea here is that abiding is allowing Jesus to welcome you into his holy presence. It's the idea that Jesus welcomes sinful, flawed men and disciples like you and me. And he welcomes us not just into his home, but he welcomes us to dine with him and to have a relationship with him. Knowing all the time that we are flawed, knowing all the time that we are sinful, knowing all the time that we not only have failed Him in the past, we will fail Him in the future. Jesus says, come into my presence, stay near me, be with me, and I will produce my fruit in you. You see, the gospel is not, I fix myself, and then I come into Jesus' presence because I'm worthy now. 
The call to abide is the call to sinful, flawed disciples to say, you know, you need to come as you are. You need to come with your flaws. And you come to me and I produce my fruit in you. I change you. You don't change yourself. I've struggled a lot with uh, John 15, where Christ says, abiding in, abiding in me is the key to the Christian life. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He says, if you don't stay near me, you're not going to be able to do the Christian life. And I've struggled a lot with that because I come to Jesus and I feel like Peter, where I say, depart from me. I'm a sinful man. How can I come to you? How can I come into your presence? How can I abide with you? How can I lean at your breast? And I miss the whole heart of that imperative. Well, the whole heart is, I'm welcoming you to come. I'm welcoming you to come with your issues. I will change you as you stay near to me. And so, we gaze, we drink, we taste, we abide. And the fifth imperative I want to give to you is, I think, possibly the sweetest one. And that is that the Christian life is resting. It is resting. Resting is trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ for your standing before God. It is trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ as the sole basis for your standing before God. Resting is ceasing to try to earn God's favor. It is ceasing from trying to be good enough for God to accept you. It is ceasing from trying to merit your standing before God. It is ceasing from your legalistic efforts to try to offer God something that would be worthy of Him. And it's resting in what has been done for you and what has been accomplished for you. And it's saying that Jesus did it all I can add nothing, I can subtract nothing, I can only trust and rely upon that sacrifice. And in that sacrifice, I rest. I rest. Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In the context there, he's talking about the heavy religious burdens that the Pharisees laid upon the people of Israel, saying you have to do this to be acceptable before God. You have to do this to earn your standing before God. You have to abstain from that to be righteous before God. And Jesus said that your people, you have all these burdens, all these lists, all these rules, all these regulations. You constantly feel you can't keep them. You constantly feel defeated and you're burdened, you're heavy laden. He says, come to me and bring those burdens and I will give you rest. I will give you rest because my way is not 
you do all these things to be acceptable before God. My way is I do it all. And you receive my grace. And you rest. You rest. You have peace in your heart. You you know that God loves you right now, today, the way that you are. Because God loves you, not because of who you are, but because of who Christ is. You remind yourself repeatedly that I am accepted on the basis of another person's performance, not my performance. And you take all of those legalistic efforts to win God's favor and you lay them down. And you simply come to Christ and He brings rest to your soul. The Christian life is resting. It is resting. Because it's all been finished. It's all been completed. There's nothing left for us to add to it. We just trust and we receive what God has to give. Hebrews 4 verse 11 says this, Therefore let us be diligent to enter into the rest that God has provided for us. That's the paradox. You might say, well, that seems like a contradiction. Be diligent to rest. But we all know that this is true in, in life and it is spiritually. You have, to, you have to be intentional about this. If you're going to go on vacation and have a wonderful time and a refreshing time, you have to be intentional about that. And what Hebrews is telling us is that we have to guard our rest in Christ because we have in our hearts, as James said, this legalistic tendency, this older brother syndrome where we're constantly trying to, through our duty and through our efforts, to improve upon what Christ has done and to earn God's favor. And we have to guard that and be diligent to rest in Christ and to say that Jesus is my righteousness, nothing more and nothing less. And I find my rest in Him. Jesus says, rest. Come to me. I will give you rest. So, what is the Christian life? We're trying to bring to our understandings that the Christian life is not us giving to God, it is God giving to us. The Christian life is us receiving the blessings of the gospel. Not just in our conversion, but every day of our Christian lives. And how does God desire to bless us in the here and now? He desires to show us the beauty that satisfies our heart. He desires for us to experience the sufficiency and the sweetness of having our thirsty souls met in the sufficiency of Christ. He desires for us to behold wondrous things that rejoice our hearts. He desires for us to be welcomed into Christ's presence so that in Christ's presence we are transformed as He produces His fruit in us. And He desires for us to experience the rest that comes in laying down our legalistic burdens at Christ's feet and simply accepting by faith the finished work that He has accomplished for us. God is the giver. We 
are the receivers. And we receive by gazing, by drinking, by tasting, by abiding, and by resting. They are imperatives. We are called to be engaged. But they are largely passive in that we are called for something to happen to us, not for us to do something or to accomplish something. Now, I told you at the beginning, I want to show you how this relates to 6 a.m. Monday morning and how this changes the way that we approach our daily lives. So I'll just share with you from my life, this is how it changes my life and how I go about my week. So it's Monday morning, alarm clock goes off about, I don't know, about 20 hours from here. Start of a new week, sleepy, groggy, get up, a lot of responsibilities, a lot of things to take care of. What do I do? How do I live my Christian life? Well, this is, this is what I do. Okay? This is just my application and how it changes the way I go about my week. I, I get up and, you know, first thing I do is I have a cup of coffee, okay, because I'm no good before my coffee. and I don't want to talk to anyone before I have my first cup of joe. And so I have my cup of coffee and I, I open my Bible and I just... Um, I have a one-year Bible. I'm always behind. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm not, but I'm trying, I try to just read the one-year Bible. And I just begin with a standpoint that this time of coming to the Word is not about me giving to God, but it is about God giving to me. God is going to bless me. He's, he's going to do something in my life. And I'm weary and groggy and, and I have all these things on my mind I got to do today, but that's okay. Because God is going to change me. I'm not going to change myself. God is going to bless me. And so I open my Bible, and today's reading was Luke chapter 5, Jesus healing the leper. Man full of leprosy comes to Jesus. Jesus touches him, and Jesus heals him. Now, my first impulse, and this is how I've read the Bible for a number of years, is how does this passage Make me a better Christian. Have you ever been there? I've read my Bible for years like that. Okay, The Bible is all about me being a better Christian. It's all about instructing me, giving me instructions that I could be a better Christian. So I never understood passages like that because I would go to passages in Luke chapter 5 and I would see Jesus heals a leper and uh, I don't, how does it make me a better Christian? I don't know. There's, there's no principles to follow. There's no sins to be avoided. There's no warnings to be given. It's just Jesus healing a leper. How does this make me a better Christian? And I would just miss the whole point. So now, this morning, I open Luke chapter 5. I see Jesus healing the leper. And what God says to me through his word is, Dan, just, just watch. Just gaze. Just behold. Just see. Don't just... Don't, don't make immediate application. Okay, my first impulse is, is, while Jesus is compassionate, I'm not. I stink. I'm a bad Christian. Don't, don't go there just yet. Okay? Just gaze. Jesus, isn't, isn't he awesome? I mean, isn't he just so compassionate? Isn't he so tender? I mean, he didn't have to touch the man, but he touched him. The guy was unclean. He was unholy. He was full of leprosy, disease. He's spiritually unclean. And Jesus is holy. And 
just, just watch. Just isn't that amazing that that he touched the leper? Before you get into this mode of just watch, and I come away, and I just wow, Jesus is amazing. He's so full of compassion and tenderness and love and mercy. And he reaches out to this poor man who's crying out. And he doesn't just heal him from a distance, but he touches him. And isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful about Jesus? And then the second thing I do is I drink of that. I don't just, okay, I saw it. Great. Okay. Time to move on. I got a lot of things to do. No, I, I drink. I, Lord, I'm thirsty. I, I need this Jesus today. I need him this morning. I drink. I need him because, because I'm unclean, because I'm unholy, because I'm diseased. I, I need him to, to reach out to me. And I have sins, and I have temptations, and I have problems, and my life seems confusing. So I, I'm thirsty, and I, so before, after I watch, I, I drink. I drink of that. The beauty of how Jesus doesn't just reach out to the lepers, but he reaches out to me. In my room today, this morning. And his heart is the same toward me. And I just let that satisfy my heart and that he is here for me, just as he was for that leper. And then after I drink, I taste. I I don't let it go. I I savor that. That's so, that's so sweet. That's so amazing. That, that he's, he's here with me today. He loves me just in the same way. Isn't that so sweet? Doesn't that just change my heart and I just let it marinate in my soul that my Savior is a compassionate God? And then after I gaze and I drink and I taste, I abide. And abide means that Jesus is right here, right now, with me. Lo, I am with you until the end of the age. He is with me in my little room, and he welcomes me into his presence, and I can come to him just as I am. I don't fix myself to come to him. I come to him, and he fixes me. And I can talk to him in prayer, and I can listen to him in his word, and I can stay close to him. And having gazed and drank and tasted, having abiding, I rest. I rest in what Christ has done for me. You say, Dan, how long does that take? Well, it depends. 15 minutes? I don't know. Maybe more, maybe less. The point is in time. The point is receiving. Is I need this. And if I don't have this, I'm not going to be able to, to just do my Christian life. I have to, to receive in this way. And it's, the point isn't even that that's the time in the morning that I have every morning. Because some days I'm, I'm up and I want to have my time with the Lord. And guess what? The kids are up too. And they're already, you know, misbehaving and they need attention. And gosh, you know, the point is that this is... A lifestyle that through the day I can drink at any time I want. It's like you're at work and you, 
You drink while you're working. You can drink of Christ any time of the day and have him meet you there and satisfy you and receive from him. And the point is that this is our life. Do we have to do things? Absolutely. We have to get stuff done. But that's not, it doesn't define us. What defines us is this experience of gazing and tasting and drinking and abiding and resting. And in all these ways, God gives to us. We don't give to him. God says, I am the greatest giver in the world today. I have given to you my son to die in your place. How will I not also give you all things? I will be glorified in you as you receive from me. So come and gaze and taste and drink and abide and rest. And in this way, you will glorify me. Let's close our time by coming to the Lord and just thank Him for what we've learned. Father, You are the great giver. And Jesus, You are the hero of the Scriptures. And we are just little ones. We are just children. And we can do nothing. We can give nothing. We can contribute nothing. We can only receive. And Lord, we just rejoice this day that as we come to receive from you, that you are a generous God. And God, we just pray that you would show us beauty, beautiful things about Christ cherish in our hearts, to satisfy our thirsty souls with the sufficiency of Christ. You would help us in our hearts to savor the sweetness of the gospel. You would draw us into your presence that we may be transformed and that you would point us to the cross, the sole basis for standing before you, that we may lay our burdens down and that we may find rest. We pray that you would continue to give to us in this way. We ask this because you are gracious and because of what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, amen.